Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, Boston, the city of millennials, the highest concentration of millennials in the country live here. How these young adults still living in the shadow of the baby boomers hold Boston's economic future in their hands. Later in the show, the glass is always half full for Bianca Bosker, a regular wine lover turned wine expert. You know, I think we think of wine as being this thing of pleasure, and they put themselves through a stunning amount of pain in the name of this (laughs) fermented grape juice. Bianca Bosker takes us on her journey to become a wine expert and into the wine cellars of those who live for wine. Her new book, Cork Dork, a wine-fueled adventure among the obsessive sommeliers, big bottle hunters, and rogue scientists who taught me to live for taste, is our July selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. But first, joining me in the studio, Justin Kang, the founder and executive director of City Awake, a social enterprise organization that works with the Boston Chamber of Commerce. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for having me today. I'm glad to have you. Deborah Silva, a financial underwriter for Blue Cross Blue Shield and a member of City Awake. Hello, Deborah. Hello. Glad to be here. Glad for you to be here. And Pishon Duplan, the co-founder of Fast Forward, a for-profit organization focused on helping students maximize their time and investment in college. Fast Forward is a partner of City Awake. Welcome, Pishon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm glad all of you are here because the subject of millennials is one that everybody is talking about, particularly people who aren't millennials. Mm -hmm. So let me start with you, Justin. Tell me about how you came up with the idea for City Awake and exactly what it is. City Awake, we started, it was a side project while I was working in a technology company a few years ago. And a, a constant struggle that we saw was that the next generation of talent here in greater Boston wasn't being represented in the civic dialogue and shaping the future of this region. So what started as a hobby was we, we took a retreat to New Hampshire with 10 of my friends and all civically engaged. And ultimately, we, it spawned into 17 more retreats thereafter. Soon, we just sort of built this cohort and this community of young people who wanted to be heard. And that's particularly frustrating when you consider 35% of the demographic here in Boston are people in their 20s and 30s, but they're not actually civically or politically motivated. So the question fundamentally that came to us was, how do we mobilize this generation to become a positive force in shaping this region? Now, the exciting part was a year ago, the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce and Jim Rooney, the CEO, reached out to us, recognizing this was a very important demographic for the business community, and we joined forces, and it's been a a great ride since. Was there one particular trigger for you that 
said, okay, this is crazy that I don't I look around and I don't see my friends whom I know are interested in the affairs of the city represented anywhere. Actually, yes, there was. So we hosted uh, a town hall a couple years ago in partnership with Boston 2024. They were hosting these town halls nearly every day in different neighborhoods, uh, but they reached out. So we did a town hall and in the first days of registration, we sold out 200 tickets fast. The first question we asked the CEO was, how many young people have been coming to these town halls that you were having every day? And he said zero. Uh, and that was a, a sort of a clarifying moment for us was that Boston 2024, a big discussion for this city, wanted to engage this demographic. And we had young people who wanted to give their opinions. They flocked to this, you know, sold out in two days, but there was no connection point. So we figured out that it wasn't that young people were apathetic and it wasn't that established leadership were malicious. It was simply that there was no connection point. So that was sort of the clarifying moment saying everyone had the right intentions. We just needed to bring it all together. So we're having this discussion. We could have had it at any time, but it's particular now because the Boston Foundation, through its Boston Indicators research arm, has just finished a huge study in which they the bottom line was, if Boston sort of doesn't get on the program with millennials, the future is doomed because... Literally, you're holding the economic future, Deborah, in our hands. Millennials are really where we need to be paying attention, those of us who care about the future of the city, because you all are the ones who are going to be making a huge difference. It's not some kind of little saying, little mantra to be saying, you know, the kids are our future. That's not. This is for real. This is a bottom line situation. So I wonder what drew you first to City Awake and how you responded to that study. To be honest, Justin, I didn't know about City Awake mm-hmm. until Blue Cross became a sponsor. And I got kind of got signed up for it through our SVP and got an email and welcomed the City Awake. And I said, what's City Awake? So I went to the convention and realized there were, what, I think, 600 young professionals, all millennials coming together. And that's how I got involved. First of all, were you surprised to see 600 millennials? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, I was very surprised. I didn't realize that, you know, there are so so many of us. And mm-hmm. now with the study, I saw that 35% of the whole city is actually in this demographic, the millennial demographic, which is really shocking to me. I didn't realize how many of us there were. Another thing that was really interesting to me was the fact that the Hispanic populations and the Asian populations are going so rapidly in the city. Yeah, that's one of the other facts that came out in this study is that, as we've seen actually across the country in terms of just the general cohort of millennials, it's more diverse. And part of that has to do with the acknowledgement of also being more diverse, even though we can talk a little bit later about what that may really mean in sheer numbers. So over to you, Pishan, because you've got an organization working with City Awake you're recognizing that what everybody knows about Boston, even if they don't know about millennials, is that so many college kids are here. And that makes a difference about what happens after they graduate. Do they choose to be here? Do we retain that talent? So if you talk about a place that has 30 colleges and universities, we have built-in young people, even though they're not in the millennial group, but they could potentially be. Is that what you saw when you sort of put together Fast Forward? And what do you think about the initial results of this Boston study? Yeah, I think with Fast Forward, we initially started out just thinking, and we we had had a lot of conversations with different college students, and the first question we were always asked was, how do we even get started in finding out a career, right? And so we began to have all these conversations. We were noticing, you know, there's so many schools, but yet so many of our friends were moving out to a New York, a San Fran, with the reasoning being, you know, there are not enough opportunities here for us to pursue our passion. 
And so that's originally how we started out with Fast Forward. So we started out with a book just to kind of set the foundation, set the groundwork, to really be a playbook for college students to maximize your time and investment in school. But then after the fact, we began to create platforms, basically. So we, we, we're doing a video series. We're doing an event that focuses on exposing students to global trends, careers of the future, and then bringing in Boston leaders from all over just to talk about the different opportunities in Boston. Reason being is once we get this platform and high energy, exciting for college just to come have fun, you know, along the way of their career journey, they would see all these opportunities in Boston and really stay within Boston even after graduation, right? And that's that was kind of our linkage between Fast Forward and, and, and City Awake was there's so many schools here. How do we first off even get the college students started on their career journey, give them the how-to playbook of how to do that? But then after the fact, once they figured out this is the career I want to be in, how do we get them to stay in Boston so they can continue creating the impact in Boston, right? And so that was the linkage between City Awake and Fast Forward. And the study was very interesting to me in terms of economic mobility and the different opportunities, economic opportunities for millennials or for young professionals, meaning, you know, the economy is not down, yet there is that study that there's an unequal divide of, of opportunities within, within the Boston area for college students from diverse backgrounds as well. So that struck me as very interesting, and certainly we could speak more about it as well. Well, let me just quote from the study, which is the overall conclusion. The future prosperity of Boston depends on our ability to support our millennial population. So now when we say support, Deborah, one of the things that you've raised and everybody has raised, the number one thing is housing. So we can talk about fast forward, getting college students excited. You can talk about your recognizing their talent. And for that matter, you, uh, Justin and Deborah, having friends that you want to say, stay in Boston, this is great. But if you can't live here, there you go. So talk about the impact of the housing situation on this particular population. Well, that's exactly right. Housing is definitely, I think, the biggest issue for me and for all of us, according to the study. So I came to Boston for work. My parents are actually immigrants, but we live on the Cape, and I came to Boston for college and stayed to work here. A little bit about me, my story, uh, I live in Dorchester with five other roommates. Whoa. And that's how I can afford to live here. But, you know, I'm 27, and I'd like to one day live on my own, and that doesn't seem to be something that's possible for me within Boston. You know, I'm in the position now where I'm thinking about my future, where I'm thinking where I'm going to settle down, and I'd love to have, you know, I'm not talking, you know, a huge apartment in the in the back bay, but, you know, just something for me where I can be close enough to work, where the commute's not a huge struggle, and I can't seem to find that, and I, none of us can, unfortunately. I bet you you know people you went to college with or worked with early on who live in other places, and that's not the issue. Yes, quite a few. In other cities that are also, you know, attracting a lot of millennials like Austin, housing is something that's affordable. It's common to graduate, find a job, and eventually be able to buy a home. And that's not the case for us here in Boston, unfortunately. Pishan, you're nodding your head. Yeah, and I, I'm totally agreeing with that because uh, my, my co-founder, Tucker Matheson, we're both 29, mm -hmm. right? And we have classmates that at 25, 24, you know, they were putting a down payment and closed a house in other areas. He just closed on, on his, but it's such a such a struggle saving up for that down payment and getting ready. Um, and in my situation, I live with my girlfriend, Marcy, in, uh, in Quincy, but 
we always have those conversations of, mm -hmm. okay, let's be intentional about saving for a house someday as well. So it's it's a constant conversation within millennials and in Boston in terms of housing market is so high. But then it makes me think of places like New York in terms of how are those young professionals, how are those millennials staying within uh, within those communities. And I want to get to that the answer to that question. I want to hold that for a second. And Justin, what's your story with regard to housing? And how do you, as one who is, you know, sort of overseeing this big group, understanding its impact on keeping people in, in Boston? We need to take housing very seriously here in the greater Boston area. And I think we have, especially around the, the concept around affordable housing. But we need to expand that conversation to consider how do we use housing as a talent retention tool here in greater Boston. For us here at the Chamber and City Awake, typically we compete for talent with major cities like New York and San Francisco. But what's happening now is we're seeing people move to cities like Nashville and Raleigh. And not to diminish any of those cities, but they're competing with us because they have more affordable housing better quality of life in some instances. And in terms of that, it has to become a business imperative. And even for myself, I'm lucky enough to have a pretty well-paying job. But at the end of the day, I tried to buy a house earlier this year, and then I was just turned off and by just simply the, the cost here in Boston. So now I don't plan on moving, but now I'm trying to figure out if I should move to cities like Salem or Malden or Melrose, uh, which wasn't in the conversation when I was in my, my mid-20s. Now, we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that this is the highest concentration of millennials in the country. I should also mention that a lot of them are living at home with parents. Now, you you three have come up with other responses to the, the housing shortage, but there are a whole bunch of millennials, and maybe... Because on, from the outside, sometimes people say, well, millennials, they never want to leave. They're just at home with their parents because they're lazy. Well, perhaps this is the bottom line, is that they can't find any place to live. And it's a uh, real situation. Yeah. I'll just tell you, even yesterday, a mm -hmm. colleague told me, she asked me, she's considering moving into a family home in Rhode Island. Still hope, she says she'll keep still working for me, but it's an hour and a half commute, and she's planning to move just because it'll be rent-free for a year and a half, for a year or so, and that will give her, the hopefully, the ability to buy a house. So people are making these huge trade-offs of living farther out but not paying rent because they want to be able to save for a home here in Boston. Well, the report was blunt in saying that this alone could push people out to other cities. But Pichon raised an interesting point. New York, San Francisco, very, very expensive. Somehow they seem to be doing a little bit better. Is that my imagination in how they're handling housing or retaining millennials particularly? And I just want to get back to letting folks know, when we're talking about millennials, we're talking about people born between 1981 and 1997. This is according to Pew. And there are more of you, by the way, baby boomers, who are listening than baby boomers, that millennials have overtaken baby boomers. So what is the secret to the other high-priced cities and retaining talent that Boston perhaps is not doing? Deborah? I think maybe uh, more job opportunities with higher-paying jobs. You know, I think that Boston has, you know, is doing a great job now in trying to attract large companies like GE is moving in. And I know that now Aetna is looking for a new headquarters. They've announced that they're thinking about leaving Connecticut. But I definitely think that it comes down to there's more opportunity and maybe there's more high, higher paying jobs that will get offset, to, it yeah, offset the cost in housing. Definitely. Some one of you and maybe it was you, Justin, said you, you had a sense that some of those other cities are more welcoming. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean by that? You know, that, and this is the the hardest part of as we think through creating sort of a more action-oriented platform uh, from the results of the survey, because you're absolutely right. Housing is also incredibly high in New York City and, and San Francisco. And ultimately, we're struggling with this question of the brand of Boston, the culture of Boston, the ethos of here, because ultimately, there's so much to be offered here from industry to culture, et cetera. But for whatever reason, 
and people just aren't able to create a loyalty or to build roots here. And I think that's more of a philosophical question that we need to go through, and especially one through the context of race. The biggest takeaway for me in this survey was, and the report was, the the differing experience of millennials of color. So for us at City Awake and, and other partners of ours is trying to figure out how to make Boston a more welcoming place for people to build roots here. Let's talk about that a little bit more specifically. When you say the differing experiences, be specific about it, and then I'm going to ask Pishon and Deborah to weigh in as well. Yeah, so the survey itself specifically talked about everyone agreed that Boston has a very thriving economy. But then when we got more granular in terms of people's own personal expectations of their future economic success, there was a big disparity between millennials of color and white millennials, to be exact. And so that for us is obviously not something that we want to hear as a business community, especially when you consider millennials are the biggest generation, and this is also the most racially diverse population. Now, specifically for me and my own personal story, I, I recall, you know, I go out Friday, Saturday nights, and I float in and I can hopefully, you know, accommodate to the different situations. But if you go to nightlife, especially in Boston, it is very rarely you'll see a, another person of color at a bar, right? And I remember making that comment to my friend, and we got into a huge argument because we were at this bar, and I was the only person of color there. And I was like, and not to make it a big deal, I was like, but wow, like it was 200 people and and we got into a good conversation about it but just having even a more welcoming nightlife as simple as it is it's something that I personally noticed recently well not to do a throwback on you but one of my colleagues uh, Philip Martin did a piece about divided social settings in Boston mm -hmm. in 1980 you could still pull it up for Boston magazine and read it and I'm going to suggest it's probably the same thing but Pishon weigh in on this uh, question of diversity and different experiences for millennials who are not white you know I can speak from experience I've always seen Boston as you know a community that is hard to break into but once you do the loyalty is at an all-time high right and you know, I was fortunate enough. I went to boarding school in New Hampshire, went to Babson College. So I was in communities that I was the minority. I was, you know, a small percentage of the population. And so I saw that as kind of a an opportunity for me. Anytime you're different in, in a group of people, the spotlight is always going to be on you. And I sort of took that as you know, this is my time to shine, basically. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so um, so I, I took that approach. But I do agree that, you know, anytime, anytime you do you do go out, for instance, there is that division somewhat, which I don't think there should be. And, and comparing that to a New York or a San Fran, the welcoming comes from the career opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think for San Fran and New York, they have this vibe of, you know, there are so many job opportunities corporate-wise but guess what? If you don't find any other corporations to work for, you can create your own opportunity and find investors for those opportunities. There's there's a certain vibe that comes with those communities. You can and get I to the table. You can get to the table, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. So with Boston, I think we're starting to get to that point. Uh, I mean, we have organizations like Mass Challenge doing great stuff with entrepreneurs. But I think once we do get to that point where you can almost be entrepreneurial in nature and you can get to the table in Boston, mm -hmm. regardless of the opportunities that, that are here, I think that's when you start to feel more welcoming. So just putting it on the flip side, because, you know, social life and your career probably go hand to hand, yes, uh, hand, hand in right. hand. And career takes a majority of your time anyway. So taking that approach, I think, will help us be more welcoming in terms of just bringing different kinds of people to the table and empowering non-white folks to 
to realize, hey, I can start something here um, and I don't have to go to New York to be able to do that. Okay. Deborah, weigh in. Well, um, one thing that the study talks about as well is the difference in net worth between white and non-white people here in the city. And, you know, these are our parents. And I can tell you, I, it's hard for me to buy a home, not only because, you know, of the high prices, but I am also paying back student loans. So one difference I see is, um, you know, a lot of our white counterparts, they are kind of starting out in a different position than we are because a lot of them didn't have to pay, don't, don't have student loans to pay for. And, you know, maybe their parents are helping them with a the down payment. And my parents would love to do that if they could. But, you know, unfortunately, they can't. So that is also a big difference that I see. Um, you know, a lot of my friends from work have their parents helping out with rent so that they can live closer to work, things like that. So that's definitely a big difference I see. And that goes back to the inequalities in general. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Deborah Silva. You just heard her. Pishon Duplan, who work with uh, City Awake, and Justin Kang, the founder of City Awake. They are all millennials. And we're discussing the millennial generation's impact on Boston and the recent Boston Foundation Boston Indicator study about millennials' impact on Boston. And it's huge, by the way. Now, Pishon, let me pick up on something you said. You talked about perhaps uh, following an entrepreneurial path to get to the table. So let me quote Malia Lazu, who's president of Epicenter Community Incorporated. It's a Dorchester nonprofit. And she says, when it comes to decision-making bodies, there is a lack of millennials at the table here in Boston. She just made a flat statement. So you've talked about a way, perhaps, to help make that change. Deborah, how do you think that could begin to change in a serious way? Well, definitely through organizations like City Awake. I have always wanted to be involved, and I definitely care about all of the issues, you know, within the city, um, but I really didn't find an avenue um, until through City Awake, through Justin. So I definitely think through organizations like this, we can help find our voices. We need definitely to organize and realize that we need to sit together at the table and find our voice and make sure that we're heard because we're really the future of Boston and we're 35 percent of the population. <laughs> Justin, what about you? Absolutely. I mean, our, our intention is, you know, we're still a young organization, but similar to how you know, every demographic has a sort of representative organization, whether it's a labor and unions or baby boomers and ARP. We're very excited over the next 12, 18 months to create an action-oriented platform to sort of advocate on behalf of this generation. There's some glimmers of hope, especially in this region. Uh, you know, Michelle Wu is obviously sort of uh, the North Star in terms of examples, being city council president, being in her early 30s. But uh, also the city council here itself is uh, a good chunk of young people. And then also in the most recent sort of state rep election, I think there was a, a dozen or so even That's more right. that were yeah. elected. So yeah. it's something that we can't be ignored about. It's happening. And I do see a lot of times people assume a lot of generational conflict. Uh, but I, you know, I think a lot of times we need to take a more proactive approach and a collaborative approach and make sure that millennials aren't seen as apathetic or narcissistic and lazy. You know, <laughs> and uh, that baby one. boomers are sort of resistant to change. I think there's willingness on both sides and we look forward to uh, working together. Now, because you're becoming a politician, you smoothed over something that always pops up when we have these conversations. That's Justin. <laughs> he's, he's looking at me funny. Uh, but I just note how smooth he was. We're, 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 we're having some challenging times with baby boomers. He said, flat out, a lot of millennials will just tell you wherever they live, baby boomers will not get out of the way. And so that's the problem for you all. How do, how do you feel about that? I love baby boomers. <laughs> Some of your best parents are you know, exactly. Some I have a lot of friends who are old. Now, uh, you know, ultimately, and this is just a, not to toot our own horn, but Jim Rooney, from you know the CEO of the Chamber, he came to me a year ago, and in that example, 
when I first met him, by all means, you know, we talked about sort of working together, collaboration, my organization with the scrappy, young, youthful bent and the chamber being an established influence here in the city. At first, I was hesitant. You know, Jim, I'd never met, but I knew his reputation and and the chamber just gave me just sort of bad vibes. But, you know, truthfully, I think once we got to the real core of it, we just shared a big vision of a better Boston. He loves this region more than anyone that I know. And for myself, even though I just moved here, not just moved here, but I've only been here 12 years. This is my home. And we sort of just came to that conclusion that working together is, is better for everybody, we think. So I, I do think we need to do a better job. So that's hopefully one prime example, a good example. But, you know, organizations like uh, what Pushan is doing with Fast Forward is, again, trying to get young people to influencers and build those relationships uh, from a positive, proactive beginning. So, Pishan, yeah. you don't think baby boomers uh, should get out of the way? No, I, I, I think <laughs> I think I think they help. Right. And I think it's all about you, you always get the saying it's not about what you know, it's about who, you know. Mm. And, I, and I think with with making connections, everyone's looking for I think the folks that do think baby boomers are in the way they're probably approaching that conversation with what's in it for me. I'm talking to you. There's only one thing you can give to me as mm. a benefit, mm. right? Um, and stuff that we're, and thing that we're trying to do with Fast Forward is part of it is how do you make connections so there's an exchange of information and exchange of value. So I'm not going to the table of what's in it for me, but how can I help you? How can I serve you, right? And with that exchange, because millennials also have, regardless of age difference, demographic, diversity, millennials still have some value to add to the conversation. Oh, of right? course, and yes. Trends yes, happening, yes. we're taking over. Right, we um, got it. Exactly. So <laughs> so I think just, just kind of empowering folks to have that exchange of value during those, those conversations, I think it provides more of an incentive for baby boomers to say, you know, I think that's, that's right. I think that that's a valid point. Let's help out in that scenario instead of, okay, let me just be an obstacle right now. <laughs> All right, Deborah, what do you think? <laughs> baby boomers need to get out of the way? Um, I don't think they need to get out of the way. I do, th- do think there's a divide. And I think it's because baby boomers had a very different experience growing up than we did. They had different challenges. It was a different economy. They were able to do better than their parents. And they see millennials struggling and they say, well, the millennials are lazy, like you said. But mm-hmm. we're, we're living in a different time. Um, you know, we have a lot of student loan debt. We have a lot, you know, housing is not affordable. So I think it's just difficult maybe to understand our unique challenges versus their own. And I think that, you know, we just definitely need to have more conversations. Um, I think that's a really a valid point because the, it is very different. And that actually was the appeal of Bernie Sanders for a lot of people because he was the only one who was addressing some of the specifics to your generation as opposed to baby boomers who are having a hard time understanding, well, why didn't you why don't you do this like we did? Right. You know, exactly. so, so I get that. All right. So let's talk about looking long term and what you think should happen, because here's something that's very interesting about our millennial population. Again, that came from the study from the Boston Foundation. This population is better educated than almost everybody. I mean, 45 percent of you have bachelor's degrees. There are more people here that have more than that. Only Washington, D.C., San Jose, and San Francisco have higher percentages. So we have the fourth highest percentage of really well-educated millennials. That's a lot. How can that talent be used and harnessed? And, and you know, I, now that we acknowledge this and we know this, Deborah, it seems like something else ought to be happening shaped around the fact that you have so many people who are intellectually well off <laughs> if they're not economically well off. Well, I mean, I think we definitely need the job opportunities and we want to stay here. So we need to be able to afford to live here. I think those really are the two main things that we keep coming back to. 
we are very well educated, but we're also, we're in debt. <laughs> uh, you know, we're paying back all those student loans. Nowadays, it's almost a requirement to have a bachelor's degree to get a job around here. So I can tell you, I'm, get, I'm hoping to go back for my master's one day. But once again, you know, I'm still saddled with the undergrad debt. Yeah, and I think the study says, you know, Boston itself as an economy is thriving. So there is money to be distributed to the millennial generation to stay in Boston, right? And so I think uh, the common factor here is the opportunities uh, that are presented, right? And within that is an, an is the underlying notion of if you don't find what you're looking for corporate-wise, we can provide you the resources to create something for yourself, right? That adds value. We always call Fast Forward as a for-benefit organization because it's an organization we're still going to be making money, but we're, we're impacting, in this case, college students, right? And there are businesses out there that are being formed that actually create an impact, develop the economy, um, and develop the people in, within the community. So I think just going along those lines of empowering young professionals to know that there's so many job opportunities here giving them that exposure, but then also if you don't find anything that works, you know, to your liking or aligned with your interest, we can provide you the resources to create it. Let's get creative. We have, you know, 47% uh, bachelor's degrees. We have some creative juices in the community. Let's put those creative juices together and, and let's figure something out for, for the economy. And I would say, um, Justin, as I get you to weigh in on that, that not only do we have all that high percentage of bachelor's degrees, these are some of the top colleges and universities in the country. Right. That's where everybody else comes to get educated. So you have people with bachelor's degrees. So if I can say this, they're more equal than others. I mean, because of the caliber of the intellectual atmosphere here. Justin, weigh in on the, on the uh, well-educated yeah, we're lucky to have such a highly educated workforce here. But I think to to some of my peer, the comments just made earlier, the the bachelor degree is definitely a devalued degree. I think in in comparison to other generations. So ultimately, I think very contextually to understand the experience of millennials. I graduated in two thousand nine, and and I we I graduated and it was like hello recession, the greatest recession mm-hmm. in in decades. So you know for us and I people worked so hard to get their bachelor's degrees, but the job market wasn't there. Now we see some improvement, but at the end of the day, we also see wages going down, right? So even though we're highly educated, the the sort of the uh, industries across just America, we're just paying people less or they're stagnant in terms of inflation. So for us, we need to figure out how do we educate our millennials better and continually add more professional development to it too as well, because not only do people need to get master's degrees, but they also have to understand that industries are evolving so quickly, mm. right, um, that they need to refine their skills or learn completely new skills. So even though we're highly educated, doesn't mean we're still prepared for the workforce that is important today. I know we d- did a lot of uh, uh, negative stereotyping. One of the positive ones that I think a lot of people would agree with is that the ability of your generation to be nimble. So following what you said, you have the ability, highly educated, understanding that you have to sort of meet the challenge where you are and, and knowing that you're not in the same situation that many baby boomers were. We've seen you become nimble and respond to the time. So, And that's quite a valuable skill in a changing environment of uh, economies are changing. Some that we thought would always be here are gone now. So, Deborah, look forward. And as you look forward, look back a little bit at the study. And is there something in that study that you think we should have paid more attention to or may end up being something that will become something we need to know about with regard to your generation that we haven't discussed? Definitely affordable transit and transit that's reliable. Mm. Um, I think that's something really important, especially here in Boston, where a lot of us us don't have cars. Um, We get around using the MBTA. 
And I can tell you that that link pass, it's getting more expensive, but, you know, the the tea isn't always reliable, unfortunately. We can all remember that winter a couple of years ago where it was, you know, it was hard to get to work for a few, you know, it was, I think all trains were down for a few days. So I think that is, we need to expand our our public transportation system and make sure, you know, it's accessible um, and make sure it's reliable. Very important point. Pishan, something in that study that we should be paying more attention to? I think it goes along the lines of uh, professional development and, mm. and getting our generation ready for the real world. We have all these all these schools. We're getting a great education, but there are different nuances, different little little soft skills that I think if if we can pay more attention to, that would help college students and and millennials actually excel in in the workforce and and have an opportunity to succeed as well. When you succeed. And when you can do multiple things, be agile, will, will come um, the distribution of, of income so you can start to save for that house. It's all of a piece. Exactly. Mm-hmm. How about you, Justin? Something in that study that we haven't discussed that needs to be highlighted? Oh, that we haven't discussed? Mm-hmm. Uh, I apologize. I don't have that one I was thinking <laughs> about. I mean, truthfully, I, I, I can't. Not that we haven't discussed it, but I just want to emphasize again, you know, our focus for City Awake over the next 18 months will be housing. But the second priority for me more personally uh, discovered in this in this survey and re- report is how do we improve the experience for millennials of color in greater Boston? That that honestly is going to be a, a personal passion for mine in the next 18 months, I think. From a business imperative, Boston can't be recognized as a racist city, right? We have a, a history complicated with race <laughs> over the decades, but at the end of the day, I don't like reading on ESPN.com that with the Boston Red Sox incident, and yeah. that doesn't look good to outsiders that want to come to Boston. So for us, we want to make a city that people are proud of and one that is truly inclusive and not just, you know, through just uh, press release initiatives. So for us, it's about how do we create a culture as well as uh, a professional development and leadership opportunities for young millennials of color. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Partnership, which is an organization of some standing here in Boston whose whole goal is to help retain persons of color, particularly in the upper-level uh, career fields. And they recognize, Pishon, as you mentioned early on, that that whole social versus career is tied. And if you people don't know where they can get some of that support, they will leave because they're going to find it someplace else. And they've been working to do that for many, many years. So that's the Partnership. What would you like folks to do to reorient their thinking about millennials in these final seconds. Deborah, what would you say? Well, I would say that we're very eager. Um, we're not lazy and we want to be here and that hopefully we'll find our voice and we can make that happen. I'm going to let that be the last word. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> Thank <think> so. you. <laughs> Thank you all for joining me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Justin Kang is the founder and executive director of City Awake. Deborah Silva is a financial underwriter for Blue Cross Blue Shield and a member of City Awake. And P. Sean Duplan is the co-founder of Fast Forward, a partner of City Awake. Coming up, it sounds like a fantasy for a wine lover spending every day tasting and learning about wine. Bianca Bosker went from rank amateur to cellar rat to the top of the wine professional chain as a certified sommelier and tells us all about it in her book, Cork Dork, A Wine-Fueled Adventure, among the obsessive sommeliers, big bottle hunters, and rogue scientists who taught me to live for taste. It's our July selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.